Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God with one another for the good of others in the valley as it is in heaven. All right, welcome back to the Life and Rhythm podcast. I got with my buddy Adam and my friend, nude friend, Josh Howard. Welcome. How you doing? Thank you, guys. <laughs> doing great. I was expecting a little bit more of a yeah. welcome there. <laughs> Me too. I wasn't ready, guys. Let's restart. <laughs> it's punchy. It's a little punchy welcome. This is awesome. Welcome. <laughs> Proceed. When he said he wants to nail through it, he really meant, like, we are getting done with this. (laughs) Well, uh, I was, yeah. uh, yeah. All right. Well, this is yeah. awesome. Well, it's like great it. to have you, man. I'm so excited. Me and Josh literally just met a month ago. I think, Adam, you've known him a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long have you guys known each other? How'd you meet? Uh, so a mentor of mine in Joplin, Missouri, he heard what we were doing, and I started to cast a vision of disciple-making and uh, decentralization, and he said, man, this really sounds like what CICM's doing hmm. in India. And I've been a part of that ministry for a long time. And so uh, he connected Josh and I together and said, you guys should talk. And so we've been doing that for probably right out a year now. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, super so, encouraged by them and and what their, their story. And we're going to hear a little bit from Josh from uh, just how they – came from a more prevailing model, uh, similar to the United States and what we see, what we're accustomed to when it comes to church planning and and then how they've explored that. And so I've been encouraged along the way. Awesome. So Josh, uh, first off, tell us what CICM means. Uh, that's in, yeah. those are letters. And, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and also tell us about you, yeah. you know, let us know who you are. Yeah, I was I was going to make up an acronym, but I'm not, I'm not that fast tonight. So, um, it's, uh, it's central India Christian mission. Um, my in-laws, doctors, Ajahn and Dulal started the ministry about, it's been almost 40 years ago now. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I moved here about 13 and a half years ago. That's how long I've been living in India, uh, which is crazy to think about, honestly, like I, it doesn't feel that long, uh, but it's, it's been a long time. Um, and so I, I joke around a lot that I love the Indian people so much. I married one of them. Right. So my wife, uh, uh, my wife is Indian. She's amazing. Um, and so, but, but just a a brief history about the, you know, about the organization, um, you know, 40 years ago, my, my, uh, in-laws, um, had a dream really to go after the hardest to reach areas of, of India. Like that's really what they wanted to go after. Mm the most difficult, the most unreached, um, the ones that had the biggest boundaries in order to get to them. They wanted to go after the hard to reach places. So cool. And so it's out of that heart that CICM was birthed. And so at the beginning, their laser focus was church planting. They wanted to go start churches in, in the hardest areas, right? Which they did. Um, but as they did that, 
needs arose all around them as they went into these difficult areas, right? So, you know, as they started planting churches, they noticed, for example, like one of the first things they noticed was, um, you know, the kids that were being brought up in super impoverished, difficult areas. And so my mother-in-law, Indu, was like, hey, we need to do something to help these kids, right? And so a children's ministry was birthed out of that. And then as they continued to grow and spread, they saw kids not only that were in impoverished situations, but that were also being orphaned. So they said, hey, we need to do something about that. So now we have, you know, six or seven children's homes in different parts of India. And um, so anyway, as needs would arise, um, they really kind of went, almost went about building this ministry with kind of that old ministry mindset of, hey, when we see a need, we're going to meet the need. You know what I mean? And, and when a need arises and we feel like God is calling us to that, we're going to go after it. Um, sounds like the church, so by the way. Was, Just sounds like what the church should be doing. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, you, you would think so. Maybe maybe Jesus had something like that in mind um, for, the, for the kingdom. Yep. And so, so out of that, guys— a, a, a massive organization developed, right? And and if you would have asked my in-laws, did you dream of it being like this? No, <laughs> this is this is not this is above and beyond anything they could have even imagined, anything they could have thought about. And so they were, you know, planting churches, doing children's ministry, doing the orphanages. Um, we have a nursing college and a hospital now that's meeting the needs of the community. Um, there is, you know, we have a, a church planting school where we're raising up church planters to go after unreached areas. Um, my role in all of this is, uh, my formal title is the director of leadership training and multiplication, which is basically a fancy word of saying, I help raise up church planters and multiply, you know, disciples in churches. Um, but that has been kind of my main focus, uh, when, when I moved here 13 years ago, which by the way, I had no business being a part of when I moved here. Okay. Let's just be honest. Um, like I was like 22 years old. I had no idea what in the world I was doing. And the last thing a 22 year old kid needs to be doing is trying to raise up like 18 year old church planters. Like I, I had no, I had never planted a church bro. You know what I mean? Like I never made disciples really in my life. Like, and so I, I say all the time guys that I moved to India thinking that I was going to be the big bad missionary that came and saved everybody. Okay. But here's a dirty secret of the mission field, okay? The same guy you are when you get on the plane is the same guy you are when you get off the plane, all right? And there wasn't some miraculous, you know, cocoon butterfly moment on the plane from the United wow. States to India, okay? Like, I was, the, I was the same guy with all the junk and all the, you know, mess. Um, and so what actually happened was rather than me being the guy coming and saving everybody, what actually happened was the Indian Christians and believers taught me how to follow yeah. Jesus. That's what Come really on. happened. Um, I'm getting emotional now, man. Their, their faithfulness, their boldness in the face of persecution, mm. the, the type of disciples they were, um, the, the integrity, the character, the, the passion, the dedication, all of that was something I'd never tasted or seen or felt in the Western world that I grew up. Bro, in. what a gift. And when I came and saw men and women, man, that were laying everything down for the sake of the gospel, um, it radically mm. changed my life. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, and, and shifted who I was as a person and who I was as a man. And so, Rather than me being the one to come in as that like this, you know, 
savior or whatever, what actually happened was I honestly believe the Indian Christians saved me. Mm. Like they, they, um, they radically changed. Jesus used them to radically change who I was and, and, and what I was going to focus my life mm. on. Bro, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm tearing up too. Not, <laughs> not because I've been to India. Uh, I think I'm tearing up because I just, I long for that. I long for America to be that kind of place where people come and visit and they're not in awe of what the buildings look like or what the accomplishments we've made or whatever. They're impressed by the character of Christ likeness, the passion, the devotion, the, I mean, man, I want that. That's beautiful. Amen, man. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. So in that uh, in that time of you working with CICM, I know last time we chatted, you said something along the lines of you came to a place in ministry where together at CICM and, and yourself, you started wrestling with this question, what's it really going to take? Like, what's it going to take mm-hmm. to reach yeah. the people we want to reach in India? And so kind of tell us that story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah, it came to a point, man, and and honestly, it, it it came in the middle of a season for me that was probably the darkest season of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I went after being here a few years, you know, uh, learning learning about the culture, the Indian Christians impacting me, all of that stuff. Um, God began to deal with me about a lot of stuff that I just had internally, and and I, I went through this season that was just like a dark season of the, of the soul of depression and anxiety and, and just darkness and, and anger and all this junk, man, that, that was going on in my life. And, and it was during that season where God was almost in a good way, breaking me down and, 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 and getting down to the, to the core of, of my heart and, and, and who I was as a, as a person and old junk that I had kept, you know, kind of locked up in my soul. It, It was during that season, man, that, um, God began to speak to our team just about the vastness of the, of the, of the job that we have in South Asia. Mm, okay. Yeah. Like, um, in India alone, right. There are somewhere in the, somewhere in the ballpark of about 1.3 billion people. Mm. Okay. Literally there are 16 like major mm. languages in India that all have millions of speakers, but if you take the tribal languages and all of that, there are literally hundreds of different languages in India. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as a team in CICM, we began to like, like what you said, we began to ask and dream and pray, God, what's it actually going to take to make an impact in this nation? Because the, the reality hit me really hard, bro, that um, there are more unreached people today in the world than there were 50 years ago. Yeah. Okay? And so what that what that means is is the global church is actually losing ground in the kingdom. We're not gaining ground. Like we think, oh, churches are growing, churches are multiplying, which they are, and that's yeah. great. But we're not keeping up with population growth. There are more babies being born every year than what the church is growing. And so we're actually losing ground, not gaining ground. And so, I mean, what a what a crazy thought to think that 2,000 years after Jesus's great commission, we're actually not getting closer to completing the task. We're getting further away from completing the wow. task. Mm. And that, that reality hit us square in the face here in India as we're looking at 
there are more unreached people in this nation than in any other nation of the world, more unreached people groups. Um, if you count India and the surrounding nations, over 50% of the world lives here. Dang. Okay. And over 65% of the unreached people live in this region of the world. Wow. Okay. So 65% of all people who don't know Christ and 50% of the world lives in India and the 11 countries that surround it. Dang. Okay. So, so as a team, we got to a point where we're like, man, like what we're currently doing is great. It's good. God is using it. People are coming to faith. It's beautiful, but we are not even making a dent in completing the task in this part of the world. And so we, we had to get to a point where we were on our knees, man, as a team praying and fasting and asking God that same question, man, Matt, like, what is it going to take God? For, for us to see this nation reached with the gospel. Because what we knew at the core of it all, we didn't have language for it yet, but at the core of it all, we knew what got us to that point as an organization, where we were, you know, I guess it's been maybe eight, nine years ago when we started this process. Um, eight, nine years ago, what got us to that point then was not going to get us to the point of completing the Great Commission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't going to get us there. And what we realized was the vehicle we were using to complete the mission that God had given us was a vehicle that in and of itself was never going to get us to the destination that God has Mm -hmm. to see no place left without the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so the illustration I use a lot, guys, like if I want to come visit you guys, I'm sitting in India right now. If I want to come visit you where you're at, like there's a lot of vehicles I could choose. A motorcycle is not one of them. (laughs) Like that's never going to get me there. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not going to – I could try, you know, maybe if I'm in a Muppets movie, uh, you know, I could travel by map or whatever, but, uh, but it's, it's just not going to no. work. You know what I mean? Like I can go by boat, I could go by plane, but I can't go by train or bus or car or truck or motorcycle. Like I can't not going to get you here. And hmm. what we realized as an organization that if we truly wanted to see the great commission completed, hmm. The vehicles that we were using for mission were great and good, and they would get us to a certain distance, yep. but they would not take us fully to the destination that God Yeah. Had. And we needed to make some major changes to see that happen. Tell us uh, one of Adam and I's, I think, favorite stories is where you got in front of 1,200 people, <laughs> and you cast... Yeah, I did. I did. You had to bring this up. Yeah, okay. All right. You get up in front of 1,200 people... In, we, in we, India, we talk about it. We talk about it once a week just to make ourselves feel better. You know, just, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. That's, thank you. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Remember let's when Josh? Josh's this Shall isn't we, a failure. Play. This is beautiful. This is, this is beautiful. beautiful. So you get up in front yeah. of everybody. It gives, it gives us hope. You lay it out. Yeah. You, you're telling all the things. What you're saying, man. You're you're preaching and uh, tell us about the response. You know, who comes forward yeah. to say, "Yeah, I want to be a part. I'll help you discover." <clears throat> Implement millions, a new <laughs> millions. <laughs> yeah, tell us, tell us what happened. Uh, the truth. All right. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So, so basically, guys, yeah, let me set the stage for those that are listening that don't know the story. So, we were we were after this season of getting on our knees, fasting, praying. God, what vehicles do we need to use to get there? Yeah. Long story short, we stumbled across Ying Kai in China, mm-hmm. who wrote the book T Four T. Uh, highly recommend it, by the way. Long story short, though, Ying and his wife, Grace, in 10 years, okay, they went from the two of them 
to seeing over a million baptisms and over 200,000 churches started. Okay. Like long story short, there's a big story yeah. there guys, obviously, yeah. but, but, but that's what happened. A million. Wow, and baptisms. so our team, yeah, a million in 10 years. Okay. And so our team is reading the wow. story and we're like, God, okay. Like if you can do that in China, you can do it yeah. here. Like, and by the way, anyone listening, I challenge you to pray that prayer, guys. Like, if you can do it in India, if you can do it in China, you can do it here, wherever you're, wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. It's the Let's same guy everywhere. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, man, we studied, we prayed, we created a strategy and a plan where we're like, okay, we're going to do this here. Like, we're going we're gonna to make disciples who multiply. We're going to plant churches that multiply. We're going after movement, man, rapid multiplication. Um, we were ready. Okay. So our local church here, it was planted maybe 150 years ago. My missionaries, wow. uh, it's a, it's a traditional church. Um, uh, my father-in-law is the, the chairman of the, of the board of elders. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the elders there. Uh, we, we both teach and, and preach quite a bit in the, in the church, right? So the Sunday comes that you're bringing up, Matt, thank you you're by welcome. The way, for, for, for bringing this up. Um, and it's like our, our launch Sunday for what we're going to be doing for movement multiplication stuff. Yep. Okay. We had come up with the name Ignite, which means we're going to ignite disciples, ignite movements, ignite the flames of the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's going to be awesome. Dude, I'm expecting Pentecost Sunday, okay? Let's like, I, I just am. Like, there's going to be 1,200 people. 3,000 are going to come forward. People <laughs> off the streets are going to come. Like, it's going to be awesome. Oh, like, yes. it, it's going to be great. I get up there, man, and preach my Laid heart out, out yep. okay? And if I do say so myself, it was the best sermon I've ever given in my life. <laughs> Okay. All right. Just a couple pats on the back here. Okay. Here we go. Um, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit flow, man. I'm casting vision, telling Yin Kai's story, talking about how we can reach the nation in India in 15 years if we did yeah. this. Like, like, like everything, yeah. man. At the end, I'm like, okay, if you want to be a part of this. And by the way, guys, let me preface this. I did not raise the bar high for an invitation. It wasn't like, hey, if you're ready to give your life and die for this, come forward. It was nothing like that, okay? It was literally like, hey, you want to make disciples? Come on up. Like, we'll train you how to do it, okay? All right? So the service ends, the invitation comes, and out of 1,200 people, we have 12 people come forward. Sounds biblical. It sounds good. Yeah. Sounds (laughs) Sounds real good. Except it wasn't. Like, I was so upset, all right? Like, I was so mad. I, I was thinking to myself, are these people not Christians? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why, why would you not want to be a part of this? Did you not hear the sermon I just gave? Like, did you not listen? Were you listening to some cricket match or something? Like, like where? Anyway. Fantastic. I had a guy next to me who leaned over to me, and he said the same thing, Matt and Adam, you just said, basically. He said, Josh, I know another guy that started with 12 people, and he, he did, did okay. He did just fine. He did okay. So... I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So after getting all the frustrations away, I look at the 12, and none of them are people I would have picked. Yeah. Okay. Like, one of the guys specifically was an uneducated village guy, couldn't even read or write. Mm. Like, I'm like, Jesus, like, you know, you want to rethink the people you've brought up? You yeah. know, like, surely Jesus made a mistake here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we need we need to redo. Let's call for a revote. <laughs> I'll give the invitation again. <laughs> kind of like those pastors that ask for the offering. Like Pass it again. Times. Like, hey, we don't have enough uh, Pass yet, that guys. plate. Pass it again. Pass it again. Yeah, so. Let's go. Let's do the invitation <laughs> yep, again. Let's, let's do it. Come on. One more yep. time. One yep. more time. Anyway, um, so we started training these 12, long story short. We went ahead and jumped in and, and went after it. 
Jesus had one Judas. I had 11. Um, so, so I had, I had 11 guys that really didn't do anything with what we trained them to do. One of them though, was that uneducated village guy couldn't read or write. We trained and equipped this guy, man. And in the first two weeks, he started eight house churches in surrounding villages. In two weeks? Eight. Eight. In two weeks. What? Wow. Eight. Okay. Okay. So he's, he's going village to village, preaching the gospel. Wow. Not a guy, not, a, and, and so this guy sold it for me, guys. Listen, and I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Like that day, I was so disappointed. I was so frustrated thinking that God was going to do something big and massive and, and all of that. But we cannot despise small beginnings, okay? Because this is what happens in God's kingdom movement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, little bitty things create massive impact. Little seeds create huge trees, mm-hmm. okay? And what happened was, man, this guy sold it for me. And, and I knew in that moment that if God can use this guy, he can use Come anybody. On. And so it was this guy. If it wasn't for this guy, I might have hung up the towel, man. Like I might have thrown it in. Like, hey, this isn't working. We'll do something yeah. else, whatever. Mm-hmm. This one guy sold it for me. And, and from that point on, we trained anybody that would move, man. Like if you were a dog and could bark, like we're, we're, we're training you. You know what I mean? Like anything and everything. I didn't care how old you were, what background you were. I don't even care if I spoke your language. Like I'll sign something to you to, to train you. I don't care. Like we're getting everybody trained. Yeah. And it was in that small, what I felt at the time was a failure. Okay. Right. It was out of that quote unquote failure that God birthed the movement that is now happening now, which I I know we'll get into this later guys, but over the last seven years, it went from this one guy to now. Okay. Just this year alone in 2021, we saw over 2,700 house churches started just this year. Okay. Just this year. We're somewhere. I'm going to get our final church numbers at the end of December for where we're at of the whole movement but we're somewhere in between eight and 10,000 total churches that have been started and sustained over the last seven years, basically. Praise Um, God. And this has been like crazy to see what God has done. And it all started from, from this one guy, man, that I wouldn't have picked, but it taught us this lesson, guys. Like now, I'm looking for the Gadarene demoniacs, man. I'm looking for the Samaritan women. I'm looking for the Zacchaeuses. Like I'm looking for the people that are just excited, passionate about Jesus, yep. and they're ready to go take the world for Jesus. I don't care their education level. I don't care how smart they are, how 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 talented they may be or whatever. I'm wanting the people mm. that are head over heels in love with Jesus that are ready to mm. do whatever it takes to see this to see this come to fruition. Wow. And those are the type of people that movements are getting started out. Absolutely. Dude, I uh I brought up that story to embarrass you, first off, but also, yeah, well, thank you. you're that welcome. Was great. Yeah, Thanks. no, I brought it up because uh, the kingdom of God is like, and I think we often forget that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like yeast, which uh, I'm not sure if anybody listening has seen yeast in a while. It's really small, and. It grows slowly over time. It expands over time. I actually think this is, uh, to me, when I heard your story the last time we chatted with CICM, I thought this, this to me is one of the more compelling reasons why it's possible here. 
Um, and, I, and I look at, I honestly look at Jesus's 12 guys and I think, why would you choose uneducated fishermen to help you start a movement, a, a global, you know, cosmic renewal of all things? Why, why would you choose Simon the Zealot, who was a part of a radical political group trying to overthrow Rome, carrying a sword with him all the time, with a tax collector? Why would you put hmm. those two guys in the same room, somebody who's literally in the pockets of Rome, stealing from his own people and giving it to the Roman Empire. You chose those guys to to start a movement? That seems ridiculous. It does. It seems laughable. And so, yep. no, to me, that story gives me, as somebody who's trying to practice what you're talking about and, and contextualize it into America, that, that gives me a lot of hope that Absolutely. It doesn't take, uh, you know, you don't have to go to 12 years of, you know, postgraduate degree to do this. The, the number one resource yeah. is the Holy Spirit. And if we're, if we're faithful and available and teachable, and we actually do what we were taught, like you're saying, if, if we actually go out and do the thing that we're being trained into, then it's possible that God might do something here. We can't manipulate him to do yeah. something. But he wants to do this. He wants to take everyday ordinary people and transform the culture around them. Like in America, you know this, Josh, because you grew up here. Like we have privatized our relationship with Jesus. We, it's not a public truth for a lot of people. And most of our culture thinks that it should be relegated to the background, to a Sunday morning experience. They, And they really think that not only is Christianity about the next world to come, and not only is it a private thing, but only professionals get to play, all right? And only if you're in the NBA do you get to shoot the ball. Everybody else is in the crowd watching that person do his thing. And for me personally, I, I want everybody to play. Yeah. There's a lot more joy in that. Amen, man. And yeah. so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this um, – with that said, what's the, uh, yeah, that's nice, but what's the, yeah, but that you've experienced when this has kind of gone on even, even today, I mean, I'm sure there's still the, yeah, buts of like, Oh, we have 2,700 churches. There's still in your context, culturally people saying, yeah, but they're not a real church right. or they're not this or not that, or they're not, they don't have professionals or they don't know as much as we do or whatever. I'd love for you just to speak right. into some of the challenges. Um, you spoke into it initially. There was just this challenge of, I don't, maybe, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was like, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I can make disciples. I don't feel like that's my yeah. responsibility. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear you just uh, dive into a little bit of that. Yeah, Adam, absolutely, man. Um, I mean, there's a lot of those globally, right? Like as we as we coach and mentor and guide people, you know, there's always the yeah buts. You know, there's always the the big buts. Anyway, uh, so like like everywhere. Um, and so I, I was thinking of a song, but I'm not going to sing. So um, anyway, um, but uh, you know. Everywhere I go, this is, this is hilarious, actually. Okay. This, this really like, it's, it's, it's funny to me to think about this. Okay. But everywhere I go, it doesn't matter the country I go to. Okay. What they will say is, yeah, but it works there, not Mm, here. Right. Literally any country. So like, 
I go to Sri Lanka and they're like, that'll work in India, but not mm. here. Okay. And then, and then I'll go to like Myanmar and they're like, yeah, that might work in Sri Lanka, but it's not going to work here. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, or like uh, my friend, Steve Addison, when he moved to the UK even, okay. To try to do movement stuff. They said, Oh, Steve, that'll, that'll work in Australia, but not in the UK. Yeah. Okay. And so like, it doesn't matter what country you go to, yeah. man, people are going to say it'll work there, but not here. Mm-hmm. But here's, here's the, here's the thing that we need to realize here. Okay. Is that true disciple making movements and true church planting movements. It's not some fad that's going to work in, in a third world nation or a majority world place that won't work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The principles are not like, that the principles aren't something that someone came up with one day in their room on a whiteboard. The principles are right here, man, what Jesus did. Like it's, it's what he did. Okay. Like Steve says all the time, you know, back in the nineties, we used to ask and wear those bracelets, right? Like what would Jesus do? Right. What would he do? And he said, that's actually the wrong question. (laughs) The question we need to ask first is not what would he do, but what did he do? WDJD. What did Jesus do? And the way these movements are forming, guys, is because they're getting back to what Jesus did and just mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. So how about we make disciples the way Jesus did? How about we, how about we do mm. the, what, the way that his disciples went out and planted churches? Mm. Let's give that a try. Yeah. Let's actually go on the pathway that, that Jesus put us on and see what might happen. Mm. And so no matter what culture I'm in, it's always, yeah, it'll work there, but not here. Mm-hmm. And what we have seen is every single time when those people catch a vision of the principles behind these things, mm-hmm. multiplication does happen in every context. It, some, some contexts are more rapid than others, okay? The soil in some countries is a little bit more richer and ready than other countries. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But... Disciples are made and multiplied in every culture. The how rapid or quickly that happens could be up or down depending on where you're at, but they will multiply. God still is the God, yeah. okay, that's leaving the 99 to go after the one. He still wants this more than we do, mm. and he's still trying to make disciples who multiply all over the nations. And when we join him in that work, man, like there's nothing that he won't do in order to see that fulfilled. That's so good. Dude, that's good, man. Yeah. What, what, um, so specifically, what are some challenges that you guys have, have you personally faced in training people for discipleship in India? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's a lot, okay. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of challenges. Um, one is, and, and this happens globally as well, not just in India, but one is, you know, guys that are steeped in traditional church culture, tend to push back pretty heavily against like this idea. Cause one of the shifts that we had to make, okay. As an organization and as a movement was we had to reclaim the priesthood of all believers. Like what Matt was talking yeah, about. Mm-hmm. We had to get it out there that all people get to play. Yep. Like, I don't care if you're my you know 12 year old son or my 75 year old grandma, like everybody gets to play. Everybody needs to be on the fields. We want, we want, you know, every single person to be out there making disciples. And the truth is traditionally, that's just not the way the church has been ran. It's not, there's been this massive, you know, um, professional laity divide that has taken place uh, for centuries now. 
And we, we had to break that down. And so when we start releasing authority and telling everyday disciples, hey, you can go make disciples. Hey, you can go baptize people. Hey, you could give communion in your home if you want. Hey, you can start a house church in your home. Hey, you could, you know, multiply disciples on your own and they never necessarily have to attend the Sunday morning gathering. Like that stuff, uh, traditional leaders don't like it. <laughs> okay. Shocker, you know, whatever. Like I remember guys, this is a funny story. I had a guy once, we were doing a training early on. I heard a pastor stand up. It was, it was a room full of pastors and he was, man, he was hot. Okay. He was, and I don't mean good looking. I mean, he was angry. Okay. Like he was, he was mad. All right. Like I, like, and he stood up, he's like, if I do what you're saying, every single one of my people are going to go start their own church. Then I won't have a church. Okay. And he was, he was so upset. Wow. And, um, I stopped him. I said, man, let me ask you something. I said, how many people you got in your church right now? He said, I don't know, 75. Okay. It was a smaller church. I said, okay, listen, I said, I want you to objectively think about this from the outside. What you're telling me is that you'd be upset if you had 75 new churches birthed out of your church. Is that mm -hmm. true? He said, well, that's not what I'm saying. That's not, that is what you're saying. Okay. You'd be upset if you had 75 new churches birthed. I said, that would be amazing. Let me tell you something. This is what I told him. I said, pastor, listen, if you train, number one, not, not everyone does this. They right. don't. Like, there are people content. They don't want to get out there and do that. All of your people are not going to go do this. It's just a reality of the global church, okay? But I said, listen, if they do, you will not be out of a job because I will hire you because that's the best training ratio I've ever seen in my life. And if you train up every person to go plant a church, man, you're on my team. You're going to be one of my master trainers. No problem. I'll take care of you. I'll pay your salary. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Right. Um, but, but in, in a traditional guy's mind, man, this is sometimes it's threatening what goes yeah. through their mind. Like it, it's threatening. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what Alan Hirsch says. It, it, he says, it's very hard for traditional guys to go against a system that is providing their livelihood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the church structure right now is providing livelihood for these pastors. This is where they get their salary. This is where they get a lot of times their identity. It's where they get their influence. Right. It's where they get their, you know, their, their, hmm. uh, uh, their, their meaning, uh, their meaning, I guess, really. Um, and so you don't want to go against that. Uh, people don't want to go against that because it, 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 it threatens them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what we've had to do is really encourage guys and shift the scoreboard of what success mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Because in their mind, success is building a church and having a lot of people at it who give money and attend and whatever. Yeah. And when we begin to put a new scoreboard up on the, on the board saying, hey, success is actually multiplying disciples, multiplying churches, multiple generations of churches. This is what success is. Let's celebrate that. Let's applaud that. Let's encourage that. Let's coach towards that. Mm -hmm. Now, when guys make that shift in their thinking, they're not thinking, oh man, if every one of my people go do this, it's horrible. They're thinking, man, if every one of my people do this, that's going to be amazing because that's what success is in the yeah. kingdom. Um, right. And some of those paradigm shifts, man, had to take place. And, and that's been, but traditional thinking, Adam is still one of the biggest things that we have to try to overcome. And honestly, one thing we need to remember guys is, and I, I remind my leaders of this all the time. Some of the biggest pushback we receive in our movement is not from extremists or people that are not Christians. It's actually from 
traditional leaders within the church. And sometimes persecution even comes from that line, not just from, mm. you know, non-Christian wow. people. Um, Dang, and, dude. and I, I always, I always remind our guys, bro, like it wasn't the Romans really that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't, mm. it was the Jews. It was the Jews. It was his own people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are truly the ones that put him on the cross. It was the religious elite that put him on the cross. And, and truly speaking, movement leaders all over the world are experiencing the same thing that a lot of times it's the religious elite that are putting them on the cross. Not, uh, you know, even though, yeah, our guys face real persecution from anti-Christian people, but a lot of the pushback they get are actually from more of the, you know, traditionally minded. Dang, Dang, dude. Wow. Um, (laughs) yeah, I, I mean, I could, I, I could, we could attest to that, dude. I mean, that's just, that's just been a reality for, for us. Um, and, uh, I, I think about, uh, I saw a meme the other day and, um, it said it was Jesus out of the boat, um, or uh, walking on the water and the boat coming toward Jesus and them saying, uh, Jesus, get out of the way. You're in the way. And he was like, I am the way. <laughs> and I just, I had, to, I had this thought of like, man, is that how much, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it wasn't a, I wasn't looking outward. I was looking more inward on this um, because we can, we can change the scoreboard and still make it about me. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't matter what, what that thing, the carrot is that's dangling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can make movement about me. I can, you know, we can all of a sudden, take this thing that's beautiful and, and multiplicative and decentralized, you know, decentralized and make it about how many churches that we've started, how much movement's going on and how, you know, all those things. Right. Yeah. And so I think at the core, it's, it's this idea of like really looking inward to say, are we, are we wanting, are we going toward Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are the way I'm going to work, walk and work with you. Mm -hmm. That's all I want is you. And, and out of that comes the fruit versus I'm going to go and try to achieve something, accomplish something. And if for, like you're saying, if you're not, if you're not, uh, (laughs) if you're not, I'll use a quote and some people may reference it. If you're not on the bus, you're getting hit by the bus, you know? And so Jesus, if you're not on my bus, I'm just going to run you over. Or as you're saying, the Jews said, Hey, this is not the, the kingdom that we, we thought you're not the Messiah that we wanted. So we're going to kill you. And I've said this on our podcast before that I think the American church has said, Hey, um, you're really not the head. This is my church. Um, you're not, you're not the head of this church. And so, yeah, it's the, it's that same dude. It's the, not my president movement. You know what I mean? It's the same thing only in the Christian world. Like that's not my king. Mm. That's not my, that's not my Lord, right? Like, like what you're talking about isn't my Jesus. And we almost make Jesus out to be whatever we personally want him to be. Um, You know, I heard a guy, I forget the author, but um, he wrote, you know, uh, God created man in in his own image and we decided to return the favor. Ever since, yeah. Uh, And so we create God in our Mm. own image, right? And we create Jesus in our Mm. image. And you're right, man, movement, discipleship, everything is birthed out of this love uh, for Jesus and this unity with Jesus 
that he must be at the core and at the center as our king, as our Lord, and as our savior. And we are doing this out of a love and a, and a faithfulness for him and to him and everything with him. Mm-hmm. And if that's not the heart behind it, then absolutely. It can turn into just the next other thing or this thing or whatever, you know, it can turn into all sorts of stuff, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be Jesus at the core, man, as King and Lord. And, and he's gotta be the one driving this ship. He's gotta be the captain. He's gotta be the one guiding and leading. Mm. It, it's gotta be him at the center. Yeah or else it's all just a mess. Yeah. And if you've uh if you're listening to this and you've stuck with us this long, some of you who've been with us this whole season, you're probably wondering, what does this conversation have to do with gospel clarity? Because we've spent the entire season talking about the gospel and trying to clarify not only what it is, but how it works out and how do you, how do you make um disciples who can make disciples with the good news at the center? And um if you're listening, I mean, what Josh just said is why this ties directly into the gospel is that Jesus is the Lord. He's the King. He's at the center of it all. And guess what? He, he's going to use any, anything, anyone to bring glory and fame to his name. I mean, it, from the garden of Eden, all the way through the the prophetic words in Daniel and Revelation, you see that a God determined to restore all of creation. And for some reason, he doesn't choose to snap his fingers. He chooses to use ordinary, broken people who he wears as almost a sash. I like that prophecy in in Jeremiah where he's like, I'm wearing you as a sash to display my renown. Look what I can do with these people, not just through them, but in them. And he wears them as a proud father, as a creator and sustainer of all things. And that's what it has to do with the gospel, that that Jesus is, you know, he's at the center of this. He's over this. He's at the right hand of this, all of it. He's the foundation of it. So Josh, I super encouraged by you by, by the witness of CICM, by Ajay, and, and the whole team there. And so I just want to say thanks, bro. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you guys. It's Man, it's an honor. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, your heart and your vision behind not just this podcast, but what you guys are doing as a church. It's unbelievable. And man, I... Um, you know, I can't wait to see what God continues to do through you guys and, and uh, you know, to just to continue to see multiplication of disciples happen mm-hmm. all over America and all over the yeah. world, man. Amen, dude. Thank you. Let's do it again, man. We'll have you on. We'd love to talk more. There's so much more that we can unpack. And yeah. um, I think there's what we've been saying is for for so long in American culture, it's from from the West to the rest. And it's just not the case anymore. Uh, as you mentioned, we're, we're losing the footing. Um, but there's hope and there's movements that are happening all over the world. And that's our posture is just to be able to learn and grow, um, alongside sisters and brothers that, um, quite frankly, are not going to look like us. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So appreciate you and the work that you guys are doing and, Excited to have you back on. Yeah. Much love, brother. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Peace. Peace. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.